Revelation chapter 16 is where we're going to be this morning, if you want to open your Bibles there. Revelation chapter 16, we're continuing in our study through the book of Revelation. We're looking at the end times events that are going to happen during, during the tribulation period, uh, before Jesus' second coming uh, to the earth. As you're making your way there to Revelation chapter 16, by way of introduction, um, you know, several years ago, we were building our, uh, our new church uh, at the time, uh, Revival Christian Fellowship, out on Scott Road in Menifee. We were in the construction phase, and uh, we, we purchased a trailer, and the trailer was to serve as a security trailer uh, for, uh, for the site. We, you know, we'd had a, a, a bulldozer that was uh, stolen off the site, actually a backhoe, uh, but it was a you know, $100,000 piece of equipment. Somebody stole it, so um, somebody got the bright idea to buy a trailer to serve as a security trailer. Ironically, they stole that trailer too. <laughs> And, um, and, a, and a couple of years later, the, the church was done, it was all finished, and the cops call us and they found our trailer. Somebody out in Awanga had, had stolen our trailer and they put it out there in the middle of nowhere um, and uh, they'd used the backhoe, they were the same person stole the backhoe, they'd used the backhoe to clear out this, this concealed space and they actually practically buried this trailer in there. They were cooking methamphetamine in the trailer. And, uh, and so the cops call us and they, they give us our trailer back. And as you might imagine, after two years of cooking meth in this thing, it was worked. I don't even know why we agreed to take it back. Um, but it was thrashed and it was, it was a mess inside and outside. It was just completely trashed. And it was, it was filthy in more ways than one. It was filled with pornographic material and all kinds of just stuff that you know, is not God-honoring. And I remember thinking when they bought the tr- brought the trailer back, I thought, you know, this trailer is a perfect picture of the world that we live in. Because here we have this thing that, that was, well, it was meant for something holy. It was meant for something pure, the building of God's house. And yet what had happened, it was stolen and it was used for evil. And, you know, the Bible says that many have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. And, and this is exactly what we're going to see today. In, uh, we come to here at Revelation 16. We see the sixth bowl judgment. And, and we're going to, to see how the enemy seeks to take men and women captive to do his will. Seeks to deceive men and women to do his will. We'll pick it up where we left off. Jump right in the middle of the, <clears throat> the sixth bowl of wrath being poured out, Revelation 16, verse 12, then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth (coughs) and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. 
Behold, Jesus speaking here, I am coming as a thief blessed. Is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gathered them, speaking of these demonic spirits, they gathered them, speaking of the kings of the east, together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. By the way, we hear a lot of Armageddon. This is the one and only time that we see the word Armageddon appear in Scripture. A lot is made of Armageddon in the last battle, in the last great battle. We'll be looking at that. In earnest, we'll be looking at it next week. A lot made of it. First one and only mention of the name Armageddon. It's a region, the land of Megiddo. Again, we'll look at that next week. But what here... We have, we come to the point in the scriptures where uh, God has raptured his church. He's taking the, taken the church up to heaven. And we have now that tribulation period of time that happens after God has taken the church out of the earth. They've taken the believers up to heaven. And, and in the vacuum that's left, uh, where you have the, no restraining force of goodness in the world to suppress evil, right now, We have the church that's operating in the world. And the church is people. It's you. It's me. It's men and women that are filled (coughs) with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what happens is is that the presence of the Holy Spirit is active throughout the world uh, in the work of the church. As we let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Not everybody, but there is this restraining force. Well, once God takes His church out of the world, that, that active uh, restraining force of the Holy Spirit is going to be removed. It's going to leave this vacuum. And in this vacuum, well, Antichrist and his followers are going to rise to power <coughs> and wickedness is going to prevail upon the face of the earth. Paul, talking to the Romans, he speaks of a mindset that prevails among those who reject God. Uh, not, not speaking in particular about the, the, the time of the tribulation. He's just talking about what is the mindset of unbelievers. But certainly this dynamic permeates in the tribulation. Here's what Paul said. He says, since they, speaking of those that are resistant to God, that haven't surrendered their lives to God, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Sounds like a neighbor I used to live next door to. Uh, Though they they know God's righteous decree... Yet those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. And this is the order of the day during the tribulation period. But even though Satan is going to succeed in in leading many away, what's going to happen is that there's going to be a huge contingent of people during the tribulation period who come to saving faith in Christ. 
God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life, um, that we... that that we wouldn't have to suffer uh, through, through the, the fires of hell. And so God is good. He's gracious. He's merciful. So even during this tribulation, yes, God has taken his church out of the way, but there's going to be a number of tribulation saints, people who turn to Christ and surrender their life uh, to, to the Lord during the tribulation. But here now in our text, in Revelation 16, the time is running out on Antichrist's reign. And the final countdown has begun and the final bowls of God's wrath are being poured out and Satan is not going to go down without a fight. And that's what we see here is he's fixing for a fight. And this is the setup for the final battle where the Antichrist is going to lead all the nations to fight against Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to see this battle unfold starting next week in Revelation 17 and again in Revelation 19. But leading up to that, there's a few things to take note of here. First of all, um, we see there in verse 13 this unholy trinity of the dragon, Satan, of the beast, Antichrist, and of the false prophet. And we see from their mouths these unclean spirits, and they're likened unto frogs. And there's a reason for that. The reason that they're likened unto frogs, first of all, is that the image is representative of that which is foul, that which is saturated with filth. Frogs were unclean animals, are unclean animals in in the Bible, in the Old Testament. We see them as unclean. Certainly in our lives today, frogs ain't clean. Just by virtue of of the environment in which they live, they're not clean. They often carry salmonella. On you know this 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 salmonella that if you get your hands on, if you just handle it and your hands to your mouth, it can make you not only quite ill, it actually can kill you. So so they're representative of that which is foul, that which is saturated with filth, speaking of the message that is coming out of the Antichrist's mouth, of the false prophet's mouth, of Satan himself, just the foul, vile uh, thing that can poison you, that is unclean, that is filthy. But frogs are also illustrative of something else. They're illustrative of, of, the, of something that spreads, something that's hard to contain. If you had a box full of frogs and you dumped them in your living room, you, you couldn't contain them very quickly. They're going to be hopping around in all kinds of different directions. And, and, it, and it's illustrative here to think about that, that, that they're hard to contain. Paul said this to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to, here it is, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And that word deceiving in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it means wandering. It means a vagabond. And it's got this twofold meaning. This, the, the idea of this, this wandering, vagabond, deceiving spirit well, first of all, it's, it's that the objective of these demons is, is t- to get you to wander from the faith. Uh, that's why we define it as deceiving spirits. That's their objective. They want to deceive you. They want to get you to wander from the faith. But it also has another truth. It speaks of the facts that the demons themselves are wandering vagabonds. And we see this reflected in Scripture. You, you remember in Job chapter 2, there's some folks coming up before God's throne and they're, and they're presenting themselves before God and God notices that Satan's with them and he's, he's like, where'd you come from? 
And Satan's answer to him is this. He says, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Um, consistent with something Peter warned about in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, here it is, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That phrase, walks about, it, makes, it means to make due use of opportunity. So, so these, these demons coming out of the mouth of, of the Antichrist and of the false prophet and of Satan himself, they're, they're, there's, they're, they're likened unto these frogs in that they're filthy and unclean, but also in, this, in the fact that this, this thing that goes out, that this wandering spirit that's hard to contain. And, and this idea of walking about, when Peter warns that Satan walks about like a roaring lion, it means to make due use of opportunity. The idea is this, that the enemy, the demonic lies that are permeating in the world, there, there's this vagabond spirit to them, but, but it is not a haphazard, just sort of walking without aim and purpose. No, there is a decided aim and purpose and focus in, in their, their, the spreading of their message. I'll illustrate it this way. You think of, of King David in 2 Samuel. And, and you, you understand when David fell into sin with Bathsheba, it said that he stayed home. Everybody went to, to fight in the war. It's where he should have been. He should have been in the battle. But he took his foot off the gas. He started to chill. And so often that's us, that we're supposed to be in the battle. And we take our foot off the gas. We begin to chill, spiritually speaking. Well, in this state, he goes up onto the roof to walk, to take a walk. And as he's walking on the roof, he notices the chick next door. She's hot. And hey, by the way, David, so is hell. Don't be looking there. But no, she's hot. And this is, you know. And so he calls for and gets hooked up with Bathsheba in a sinful way. Now, in the original Hebrew there, when it talks about him walking on the roof, the idea is that he walked without aim and purpose, that he was just meandering through life. Well, Satan don't walk without aim and purpose. Satan, hey, he walks about strategically. He making due use of opportunities like a roaring lion seeking whom he's going to devour. Discovery Channel video, anyone? You've got the little animal there on the fringe of the pack who's walking without aim and purpose. And then you've got that lion who is walking decidedly knowing what he's going to do. He's going to devour that one who, who's just walking without aim and purpose. The Strategic important thing for us to understand here is, man, we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, hold that thought. Notice also in verse 14 that it adds there that these unclean spirits perform signs. And they perform these signs to, air quotes, authenticate their message. And so they're deceiving spirits. They're permeating uh, and, and really strategically going after people to, to get them, to follow after them, to fight against Jesus himself. But they also then have these signs that authenticate their message so that people will be further persuaded to heed 
this foul, filthy message of theirs, which is, hey, reject God, band together with us, fight against him. And Jesus warned that this is exactly how it would go down. He warned against this. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus warned against this. And so here we read that these demons, they're purposeful, they're pervasive, they're persuasive, and their plan is to persuade the kings of the earth to join in their attack against the coming Christ. Understand that at this point, Satan knows that his time is up. He knows that Jesus is returning. And and whether or not he's motivated here by spite, he's pulling a Saddam Hussein here, he knows he's lost the war, but he's going to scorch earth policy, he's just going to set fire to every every oil derrick that he can. If, If this is him bringing these kings into this final battle just out of spite, which is probably the case. Maybe he's deceived, thinking, I'm going to get all these guys. I'm not going to give up. Uh, we're going to continue fighting. He thinks he can win. Maybe, you know, hey, I just want to get as many people involved here because eventually God won't have the stomach for it. He's not going to want to continue destroying people. At some point, if, he, if, if I get enough people involved, you know, maybe God will just relent and say, oh, this is breaking my heart. I'll stop. Whatever it is, Satan is trying to fight Jesus here, trying to bring everybody in on the act. And so he's preparing for war. And I want you to notice, secondly, here in the text, that God not only welcomes this battle of Armageddon, but that he actually prepares the path for it with this sixth bowl. He prepares the path. Look again there in verse 12. It says, The sixth angel poured out... Sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be, here's the word, prepared. That word prepared, it means literally to make ready. And and the idea is that God is setting the stage for this war. He's saying, look, I'm not taken surprised by this at all. It's not like these guys are going to pull some sort of surprise attack against me. No, I know it's coming, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to grease the skids, I'm going to open the gates wide, I'm going to, I'm going to give them, the, roll out the red carpet and say, bring it on, is what he says, bring it on. And so, so he's making ready, he's setting the stage for, for what it is that's going to be going down, setting this stage for, for this final battle. Now, you remember with the fourth bowl of wrath, as it was poured out, the, 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 the wrath, the bowl that was poured out was the scorching sun. And what's going to happen, we're talking about God preparing for Armageddon. And in, in, you go back to the, this fourth bowl poured out. Well, the effects of that, this scorching sun, not only is it going to burn um, the inhabitants of the earth badly, but the scorching sun is also going to cause the, the ice caps to melt. Now, this river, Euphrates, its source is Mount Ararat, which is in Turkey. And what will happen is this intense heat from this fourth bowl, it's going gonna, it's gonna to melt all of the, the, the snow, the ice cap of, of Mount Ararat, and so the Euphrates is going to flow like crazy. And prior to this bowl, 
being poured out, you're going to actually see the Euphrates River like a freight train. Now, if you've ever gone on YouTube and you've watched video of a flash flood that's coming through, what you see at the front of that flash flood is all of the debris that this water kicks up. And you see an immense amount of it. And so what happens is that that becomes like a bulldozing force. And anything that it's in its path just gets bulldozed out. So what's going to happen is that the Euphrates River is going to be cleared out and widened. And then now with that going down, um, now what happens is that God pours, pours out this sixth uh, bowl of wrath here. He shuts the spigot off and now the thing dries up. So what you get, in effect, is you've got this washed-out riverbed, and, and now with the river turned off, uh, you, you basically have the way prepared for the kings of the earth to come in. You've got a freeway just widened out and now dried and hard-packed. Man, this, this freeway couldn't have been better constructed for the kings of the east to make their way down. Now, who are the kings of the east? Lots of people speculate, who are these kings of the East that are spoken of here? I'll give you the answer. You ready? We don't know. We don't know. There's people who think they know, and they will tell you, hey, you know what? The kings of the East are the Chinese that come in. And, and, and you know, you look just eastward there on a map. You've got China. You've got Korea. You've got Pakistan. You've got India. These are the kings of the East uh, that, that, that are going to be you know, coming in, pouring in. Maybe. If you remember, back in Revelation 9, we looked at the sixth trumpet judgment, and what we saw was that there was a release of four uh, demonic angels that were bound at the Euphrates, and that then an army of two million were mobilized. And there's many Bible commentators, they talk about this army of two million, they see it as an army of two million demons. And certainly that's possible, but it's also possible that what we have is a uh, 200 million man army that is released who, who are led by demons. And, and so, so what you can do is you can speculate and you go, okay, who, the kings of the east, and you put all this together. Well, it could be China, it could be Korea, it could be Pakistan, it could be India. Hey, China alone fields an army uh, of over 200,000. And, and so, you know, there, it, it could, it, or I'm sorry, 200 million. It could well be the Chinese by themselves, an army of 200 million. Well, I mean, gosh, you, you think about this. It, it, that sort of helps us to understand Revelation chapter 14, where we read about the wine press of God's wrath and the blood just flowing as high as a horse's bridle. Well, gosh, you think of these forces coming together, the kings of the east coming down and having over 200 million soldiers. You're talking about combined about 1.4 billion pints of blood that are going to be shed in this battle against Christ. It's going to be overwhelming. Now, logistically, I don't... I try not to spend a lot of time speculating about the signs and things in, in, in Revelation and maybe, you know, it's, it's discouraging to some because some people like to hear all of those details. Um, we'll get into it a little bit as, as we go. But I try to not speculate so much as far as, as what, it, what it 
could be and just focus on what does this mean to us? What, what can we take from this? But in this speculation, we can say, well, maybe it's China. But if you think about that, just logistically, even in the 21st century, in the transportation capabilities that we have, mobilizing 200 million men to go from China to you know, cross the Euphrates and into Jerusalem, it's a logistical nightmare. I mean, it would take years to mobilize that many men. So another possibility, and this actually logistically might make more sense, instead of it being the kings of the east being you know, China, uh, Korea, Pakistan, and so on, India, maybe it's talking about you know, those of Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and Turkey and the Soviet Union. You could easily field 200 million men from all of those regions. And so maybe that's more the case. They're a little bit more likely to kind of be able to flood across the Euphrates in that way. But whoever it is, here's what I want you to hear. The psalmist prophetically writes about this event that we read about in Revelation 16. The psalmist in Psalm chapter 2 writes about it. Here's what he says. He says, why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Understand what's being said here by the psalmist. Get it fixed in your mind. Talking about this event, the psalmist is saying this listen, mankind has a choice. Mankind has a choice, and we can either oppose God's rule, and we can take up fight against him, or we can embrace God's rule, and we can take refuge in him. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. There's no third option. It's either we oppose God's rule, and we actively fight against him, or we embrace his rule, and we take refuge in him. And here now, as we take a look at verse 15, God reiterates that same message. Here's what he says. Jesus, right in the middle of this, hits the pause button, just as he does two other times in going through the the book of Revelation. We see that there's a pause between the sixth and the seventh seal in Revelation chapter 7. We see that there's a pause between the sixth and the seventh trumpet in Revelation chapter 10. And now here we see a pause between the sixth bowl of wrath and the seventh bowl of wrath in Revelation chapter 16. Jesus hits the pause button and here's what he says. He says, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The purpose here, Jesus, he's speaking to believers and he's offering encouragement to believers in in three distinct ways. He's hitting the pause button. He wants to encourage the believers and he says this, basically what what he's trying to encourage them in is, hey, don't be deceived by the demons and their signs. Don't, Don't be disheartened by the wrath that I'm pouring out against the wicked. And thirdly, and probably most prominently, hey, Don't be derelict in your duty. 
Don't be derelict in your duty. And, and th- that's the interesting thing. He's, he's saying, look, you got to watch here, verse 15. I'm coming as a thief. you gotta, you got to keep watch. you got to keep your garments. And, and he says, you know, essentially, if you don't, hey, you're going to walk naked and they're going to see your shame. Now, what's he mean by that? Well, there's a, a guy by the name of Alfred Edersheim who kind of helps us understand this. He was a Jewish convert to Christianity back in the early 1800s. And he says this. He says, look, there were the temple of the, or the, the captain of the temple guard, every night, he would go out and he, and he would make his, his rounds. And he, as he made his rounds, he was going to make sure that the temple guards were going to stay awake and be watchful, as they should be. And if he found anybody who was supposed to be awake and watchful, if they weren't awake and watchful, he had a very unique way of dealing with it. He'd set their clothes on fire. And they, if they were not awake and watchful, then their clothes would burn off and they would be found naked and ashamed because they were not watchful. And that's the idea here. And it's consistent with a lot of the parables that Jesus tells. As a matter of fact, turn to Luke chapter 12, if you will. And we'll fairly finish up here for the, for the morning. But, but it's consistent with these parables that Jesus told about the, our need to be wakeful and watchful. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, Jesus talking about being alert, being oriented, being watchful. He says this, Luke 12, verse 35, Let your waist be girded, and your lamps burning. I like the way the NIV translates this. It's be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. So be dressed ready for service, keep your lamps burning. Verse 36, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, meaning watchful, meaning being alert, blessed are those servants. But, he says, verse 39, know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. He says, look, if the master knew (coughs) when the thief was going to come and rip him off, he wouldn't have been caught sleeping. And the implication is, look, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. And he's coming to steal back those that are his who the enemy has, t- has taken captive. I remember when I was, when I was a kid, uh, this bully down the street stole one of our buddy's bicycles. And he had it in his backyard. And we had to steal it back from his backyard to get him his bike back. That's the idea here. That Jesus is coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. But listen, we have to be awake. We have to be watchful. This idea... Of, of, you know, being dressed and ready for service and keeping your lamps burning. I'll illustrate it this way. When I was a kid, and, and it was in the early 70s, I want to say I was like maybe eight years old, uh, nine years old, and, and it was just starting summer. we just broken for summer. 
And, uh, and so there were these bullies that were driving around teenagers, um, and they, they, got the, they got a hold of a fire extinguisher that you fill up with water, you could refill it, and then you charge it with, with air, and they were squirting everybody. And they would just drive around town. And, 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 you know, everybody knew their car, but they would pull up, and they'd roll the window down, and they got my sister. They rolled up, rolled the window down, called her over, and then they sprayed her. And so we, the eight-year-old vigilantes in the neighborhood, we decided that we were going to put a stop to this. So, so me and my buddies, we set up two stations on our street. We had a station right in front of my house, and we had a station in front of Bobby Hansaker's house, my buddy across the street. And the station was this, that we had one guy who was dressed in rain gear who would be the nozzle man. And we, he had the hose, and, and he had, we had a trash can lid to hide behind, and, and we had the, the, the water nozzle. We were, we were dressed and ready for battle with, with rain gear. And then we had a guy on the, on the hose that would turn the, the hose on when, when needed. And then we, would ha- we had a guy on one end of, of Paul Avenue where I lived and a guy on the other end of Paul Avenue. And they were the watchmen. And they would call, car! And then when you know, the car came around, we would get them. So one day we're training. We, we're serious business, man. So one day we're out there, we're training. And, uh, and Rocky Hughes down at the end of the thing, he, he yells, Car! And so, you know, water goes on, and we would turn the water, and we would keep the hose down. So, you know, we were, we were slick, man. So the water was on, the hose was pointed to the, in the gutter so that the car wouldn't be the, the, the wiser. But then we, when he would come around, we would bring the hose up and get him. Well, so he shouts, car, well, we're training. We think it's just, a, it's just training. No, it was actually them. They came around the corner. We nailed the snot out of these guys. Just blistered them, right? Yes. Clap. That was glorious. <laughs> That's going to be on my tombstone, man. They nailed them. So, um, so the minute we got them, they slam on the brakes. Now, we at this moment, you know, you've got a half a dozen eight-year-olds. We just let go. The hoses are going all over. We just bailed, man. And everybody ran into my house. Well, they were hot on our heels, so they're banging on the door. And my dad opens the door. And we're, we're hiding back. And so they're, you know, saying, hey, your, your, your kids squirted our car. And my dad's like, Teddy, get out here. And so we tell them the story. And my sister's there. She's like, yeah, these guys squirted us. And so my dad has us stay inside. He goes out and basically, God bless my dad, he basically tells these guys, well, you know what? Seems to me you guys lost the war. They got you, you know? You you." you you get what you get, you know, you want to you wanna mess around like that, well, my eight-year-old's going to take you down. So, so basically, <coughs> we won this war. Now, here's the point of the story. We were dressed, we were ready for service, right? We kept our lamps burning. How so? Man, we're dressed, we had the rain gear on, we had our, our shields up, our trash can lids there to protect us. We were ready for service. Man, we were manning our stations. And listen, we kept our lamps burning. We had our lookouts there. And listen, keeping our lamps burning was key because what did these lookouts do? Hey, they gave us our targeting information. They said, they're coming. Be ready, you know? Now, let me ask you a question. Does this describe your walk? Because listen, I don't want you to get all tripped up on all carried away with this, 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 this attitude, this idea of, 
oh, the tribulation's coming, and who are the kings of the east, and, and all of that. Okay, great. But Jesus takes the time to say, look, I'm coming like a thief. And, and you're going to be blessed if you keep watch and if you keep your garments. But man, if you don't, you're going to be caught naked. And you're going to be ashamed. And so, so man, this is the, the, the thing for us. We got to go, is this my walk? Does, does this describe me? Listen, this, you might have this inner willingness to serve. Hey, man, I, I'm dressed and I'm ready for service. But maybe you're not keeping your lamps burning. So you don't have any accurate targeting information. You know, dressed and ready for service, great. You're all dressed up, but you got nowhere to go. You're not keeping your lamp burning bright. See, the psalmist said this, your word is a lamp to my feet. It's a light to my path. Hey, God's word gives us our targeting information. Hey, he's coming. Hey, be ready. Hey, this is how you keep your lamps burning. And this is the whole point here. We got to be dressed. We got to be ready for service. We got to keep our lamps burning. Why? Because Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. He's coming in an hour that you don't expect. And one of two things is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes as a thief in the night. He's either going to take you with him or he's going to take you out. There's no in between. He's either going to take you with him or he's going to take you out. So as we ramp up and we get in to look at at this battle of Armageddon and then next week as we look at it, we take heed to this pause between the sixth and the seventh bowl of wrath. And Jesus has hit the pause button and he says, are you ready? Are you dressed? Are you watchful? 